says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another instalment of the Tip Sheep podcast. It's an early news week uh, edition this week with the Thursday night game against the Melbourne Storm, which means I've got to get the boys on the phone. Give me one second. News team, assemble! Of course, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, but joining me to break down another manic week of NRL action from round 24 is my good mate, 60s. How are you doing, champ? Mate, I'm doing well. I, I think this is probably the lead up to the most critical regular season match that the Eels have had in, well, in some time. So really looking forward to that. And just incidentally, just incidentally, I'm going to mention this before you uh, introduce Spiro. We've again set a new record for a month on the Cumberland Throw. We've had more visitors in August than we've had in any previous August, and it's going to be by some margin. So thanks to all of our uh, our readers, our followers, for jumping onto TCT and reading our content. Really, really um, pleasing to have that happen. Well, it's all downhill on the podcast after that. You don't get much better than that. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure our next guest will be able to help us get at least a little bit close because of another week of big hits, big scores, and controversy means we need our specialists from the media on hand. And Spiro, 60s already indicated that you're here. How you doing, mate? Going well, guys. And, gee, what a difference it makes when your team wins on a Thursday night you go with your shoulders pushed back right into the weekend. Yeah. It's such a good feeling. And I hope we can replicate that uh, this week off the back of last week's big win against the Broncos. Yeah, there is so some... you, had the, you had the strut happening over the weekend. <laughs> big time. And big the, time. In all seriousness. The Bee Gees energy right there. It's, it's, um, it's the truth because you notice a difference. When your team wins on a Thursday or Friday night, you tend to have oh, a really good weekend. It's true. You want to watch other footy matches and you just feel good. And I felt that so much last week. It was just brilliant. So this yeah. week is even more important and hoping uh, we can we can get this win in, as you said, 60s, probably one of the most important regular season games in a very long time. There is definitely... Mate, I have to, I have to admit, when we've had some losses this year and they've been the bad ones, I, I don't want to watch other matches. Oh, yeah. big time. I don't want to watch any of the rugby league programs, any of the panel shows. I, you know, I have to push myself to get content out on TCT. I'm I'm angry with the world, but uh, yeah, last weekend was great, and we were able to follow that up by uh, getting out to uh, Kellyville to watch the New South Wales Cup get a spot in uh, the finals, win. Um, and then the the flag upset the second place Newcastle Knights in their final match of the season in a tremendous effort there. And the GCNRLW just went so close, so close. They just couldn't, they couldn't get Broughton involved in the second half in that in that match against the Dragons. When uh, every time we'd we'd managed to get her involved in the game in the first half, it was leading to something. It always looked like something was going to happen around her, but it, yeah, they they just didn't quite get there. Uh, but such an encouraging effort from them in their second match of the season. 
And just on NRLW, quickly, guys, before we move on to the rest, we saw that lethal combination, Tiana Penatani and mm-hmm. Gal Broughton, that left side of the field, what they can produce. And it was a valiant effort because the Dragons were in the grand final last year. They had a big win against the Titans in round one. And I was impressed by what I saw from across the park. Yeah, um, especially at, four new faces in that team too. And, and, 100%. And a shout-out as well to Ruby Jean Kennard making her debut. I thought she was just brilliant and has a lot of potential, big future ahead of her. And she's the first Parramatta junior player, women's junior player, to progress right through the grades from Tasha Gale to Harvey Norman. Oh, we don't have a Harvey Norman team. But she played for Wente right there, through. yeah. Yeah, she played for Wente. So that's technically the closest club to Parramatta. And then right through to uh, NRLW level and. I'm sure we'll see more of her this competition. But, yeah, really, really good to see the NRLW girls put up a good fight on Sunday. Yes, indeed. And hopefully it's only upwards from from there for them because they showed they can build a really nice platform up against one of the better teams in competition. But let's wind the clock back to Thursday, Spiro. Uh, Sixties and I have spoken about this, not just this year, but in general. It's a sports thing. Timing is everything. Momentum is king. And it's not just the Parramatta Reels, but the Sydney Roosters, the Melbourne Storm. There's a couple of legit premiership contenders that are making their runs very, very well timed. Are the Parramatta Reels peaking at the right time of the season, mate? Without a doubt. You go back a month or six weeks, headed out to Combank Stadium Thursday night against the Broncos, was expecting a big result. And it was probably one of the worst performances of the year. We had so many attacking opportunities we couldn't convert. Uh, struggled to score points, and we we saw the total opposite on Thursday night and a team which has a lot of hunger, desire, and will to win, which is just brilliant to see. You even go back to the South Sydney game where we didn't score a point at all, and that was probably the low point of the season. However, an honesty session, uh, an honesty session after that game, I think, has turned our season around and we're peaking at the right time, heading into a big game against a storm. But focusing on that Broncos game, it was just a, a great performance from, I think, all players involved, 1 through to 17. Murata Niakore led the way in the forwards in that first half especially. And Dylan Brown um, in the half. Sean Lane as well. I can't forget him. He has been an absolute star there. Now even talking about him playing uh, for Australia at the World Cup. So it was a great performance, a really – it was an 80-minute performance. I think there were lulls there where we probably didn't score points, but our defensive effort was there and was really, really impressive um, in the early part of that second half. Would have been nice if we scored a few more points there, but I feel like we made up for that in the, the remaining uh, 20 minutes of the match. So really, really happy. And as you said, I think we're peaking at the right time, without a doubt. And I think when you, when you talk about the lulls in the match, the lulls, I think, was in – it was a lull in terms of the points scoring, but there hadn't been a lull in terms of the breaks. We just weren't executing. We were getting the line breaks happening, but just not getting the points on the board. So uh, it was it was as close as we've had, I think, to an 80-minute performance this, this season. I, I'd agree with you there. And probably the Bulldogs game the week before, that was also on the cusp of an 80-minute performance. But against the Broncos, even before Adam Reynolds went off, we were on top of that game. It was very similar to the win against Penrith, wasn't it, where clearly you got Simbin sent for the tackle on Dill, where, yes, that changed the flow of the game, but the Eels were comfortably on top. 100%. That's exactly what my mind went to as well. 40s, I think you're a mind reader. (laughs) Uh, That's a a new little title because I, I was literally just thinking about that. A lot of parallels to that game against the Panthers where... We um, started really strong. We're on top. Clearly went off. We scored plenty of points before halftime. 
came back in the second half and couldn't really convert those opportunities. But, um, you know, we were we were there, we were challenging them and we were pushing up on our line. So it was a you you got to be happy as a para fan with that with that result um, to score you know more than fifty points in a game heading into the finals is great and for our for and against as well I know that it won't really make a difference uh, towards where we finish on the ladder it's all about wins for us but it's still good to get that for and against up and and score plenty of points heading into the last few weeks of the competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, one player who hasn't been about timing his run specifically for the finals he's been sensational all year. And now there's Rugby League World Cup rumours sort of uh, lingering around his name. But Sean Lane, unstoppable once again against the Brisbane Broncos, just adding another notch on what has been a sensational individual campaign. And to the point where there was an article, uh, I think last week, talking about how Brad Arthur called Sean Lane into his office as the player that had been the most consistent this year, sort of looking to pick his brain about where his headspace was at and how they could turn that into something for the team. And it looks like it's worked wonders. It's really, really good to see because you probably look at his career and in the past couple of years, he's been okay. He's been mediocre, but he hasn't really shined. And he's got the size, he's got the height, but he's finally putting it all together and putting in some some really, really good performances. You look at throughout the year, uh, all of the matches that he's played in, and he's played 80 minutes in quite a few games, which is a big effort for a, a huge second rower like Sean Lane. And he's huffed and puffed when he comes off, but he's done his work and he's done his job. And, and that article... Uh, you know, by Adam Pengilly in the, the Sydney Morning Herald speaking about Sean Lane, or I think it was Adrian Prezenko, um, it just it epitomises the way that he's led our forward pack this year. And he's a quiet achiever because you don't usually see him, you know, talking much. He seems like a pretty shy guy. But he's leading from the front with our forwards and, and putting his best foot forward each week. And it, it's, it's really, really good to see. And I think he's going to be a, a lethal weapon when it comes to the finals. And that left-hand side, when you look at it, you got Sean Lane, Dylan Brown, Mike Acevo. It's probably one of the lethal or the, the best left-hand sides or, or edges in the competition. And I think it'll be a, a huge um, – it's going to differentiate and set Parramatta aside in the finals. And as you mentioned, they're now talking about him playing for Australia, which is pretty unusual considering he hasn't represented his state before. But purely based on form, he deserves to be in the Kangaroos squad – and you'd probably think that he will make it there because a lot of the, the key forwards for Australia have pledged their allegiance to other countries. Mm. And, you know, you look at your Felice Cafusis and whatnot, they're not going to be playing for the green and gold. So that opens the door for players like Sean Lane to come in and, and play a role in that side. I know it's another it, – it, this is a topic for another discussion, but that still now harks back to state of origin and what is state of origin anymore. It used to be that it was a, a trial for Australian representation uh, and the way that it's gone now, it's it's no longer that. So then we, we start to question about eligibility rules and, and how, we, um, how we promote and how we structure state of origin in the future. As I said, that's a, that's a discussion for another day. But just on Sean Lane and, and that article with uh, BA calling him in for a, a chat to to find out what it was about his mindset that was working for him. That's a, a very, very clever direction to take it because when he's then going to get Sean Lane to be addressing the group and talk about what's working for him, you've got it coming from the player's perspective not from a coach ranting and raving about what they need to do to to turn things around. 
you, you're just as likely to get buy-in, are more likely to get buy-in when it's one of their peers talking about what's working from them. It gets them thinking about, yeah, you're right, he's in great form. Yeah, I've been voting for him in the Ken Thornett medal. Um, no wonder he's he's going so well. You know, you, you, you see coaches, when they're, when they're um, some of the top coaches, they they look for ways that the players can have ownership of what they're doing out there. When we spoke to, um, and I'm trying to think uh, which player, uh, former player it was, uh, John, that spoke about when, um, it might have been Brett Kenny even, um, spoke about the set plays that Gibson used to come up with. So Jack Gibson, when he was coaching Parramatta, he'd come in, he'd have a set play that he'd teach them, They'd go through it a couple of times and then he'd say he'd say to them, what do you think? And it was entirely up to them whether they used the set play or not. Like, it, entirely their decision. And if they thought it wasn't going to work for them, they didn't have to, they didn't use it. It was, you know, it, it, they had the ownership of it. So I think that that was important for um, being able to get hold of Lane and, and, and find out what, what was working for him and uh, having an honesty session where that might've been part of it. Geez, you know, it, it looks at this stage as if it's put him on the right track. It's funny how, you know, and this is true for a lot of teams too. You sort of just strip things back. You know, the game is more complex than it's ever been, but at the same time, what works is the most simple things sometimes. So yeah, that, that seems to have galvanized the yields and Sean Lane. I mean, like we said before, makes a lot of sense as to why they would pick his brains because he is the player that, despite the team's inconsistencies, he has just found his zen, which, you know, is kind of, not not ironic, but it kind of makes sense given that he is a player that likes to meditate before kickoff. So, yeah, Lane in a very good headspace and no surprise that he is absolutely dominated on the field to the point where Rugby League World Cup uh, call-up is looming and he might even challenge someone like Viliama Kikau for Dalian back row of the year. And, and just just quickly on, on, on Sean Lane, I was actually kicking myself um, after we recorded the pod last week because I, I had mail from inside the club that there was an honesty session conducted and I was disappointed that I didn't share that with you guys um, last week and with all the TCT listeners. But from what I understand, all the players got together, they had a chat and apparently it was a little bit fiery at times, but they told them, uh, you know, what they thought. Every, you know, every play, or most players were involved from what I understand. And that could be the difference, you know. And, and off the back of that, we've put in two really, really good performances, scoring plenty of points. And it's the total contrast to what we did a couple of weeks ago against, against the Bunnies, um, not, not being able to score a point at all. So at the end of the day, sometimes you look back at a season and you say, you know, losses that needed to be had. That one against the Rabbitohs was probably important. So I'm glad uh, they did that. And if... If we happen to come up against the Rabbitohs in the finals, you'd like to think that we'd be able to turn it around and hopefully beat them and, and break that um, that losing streak against the club. Mm-hmm. Now, we spoke about before about the joys of watching a big win on Thursday night and what it means for being able to watch you know rugby league content, whether it's games or media, moving forwards. The little subtext to that was that in round 24, there were some important games that didn't feature the Eels, that did feature the Eels indirectly in terms of our future coming into round 25 in the finals. Now, we had some results go against us. The Cowboys couldn't knock off the Bunnies in order to put them on the hot seat uh, to miss the finals next week. But the big one, the Sydney Roosters versus the Melbourne Storm, 
well, it looked like it was going to be a canter at one point, but the Roosters grimly held on at the end to knock off the Melbourne Storm 18-14, which means that next week's game against Melbourne at Combank Stadium is now a straight-up shootout for the fourth spot on the ladder. Eels win their fourth. Eels lose their sixth. They're the only two spots on the ladder left for Parramatta now. You know, All the marbles are up for grabs, and wow, what a way to cap off a pretty crazy regular season. I don't think I've cheered the Roosters so hard in my life. Um, <laughs> I was I was in the uh, McDonald's Interactive Studio with the Continuous Call Team on Friday night, and boy, what a game that was! I probably think it was the, it's the second best game regular season game we've seen all year. Para v Penrith, Penrith was the best game I think I've seen this mm-hmm. year, but that was a very very close second, and it, it was so good to see because heading into that game, I think. A few people thought, yeah, the Roosters, they're a chance, but Melbourne at home, they're going to be hard to beat, you know, with a big crowd, no AFL uh, in Melbourne last weekend. So uh, the the Storm were the favourites, but the Roosters got up for that game and Trent Robinson clearly had his men humming. They actually went down to Melbourne a few days earlier. I was speaking to the the media manager for the Roosters and and they travelled down there, I believe, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. And having that extra time to prepare for the game would have made a difference. But so good that the Roosters got the job done. Sets up for a huge game this week. The fate's in our hands. The ball's in our court. We've beaten the Storm early this year. We've beaten them uh, on a number of occasions last year. We have a good record against them at home. I think the last time we played Melbourne at Combank, we beat them. So you'd like to think Parramatta are going to give it a real shake this Thursday. And the other thing to factor in as well is that the turnaround, right? Parramatta uh, have an extra day turnaround compared to the Storm. We played on Thursday. They played on Friday. We probably don't didn't have as many bruises and, and, and batters compared to Melbourne or injury-wise. Uh, our game wasn't as tough and gritty, gritty as theirs on Friday night. So you'd, you'd like to think that plays into Parramatta's hands as well. And a, hopefully close to a sellout crowd at Combank, it'll be rare for a Thursday night. But I think the Blue and Gutter Army will get out uh, in the numbers and, and support the team in a, a really, really important game this Thursday. Yeah. One of the interesting things too, um, I was looking at last year's table and we finished in sixth place and on 32 points. We are currently in fifth place on 32 points. Last year, our differential at the end of the final round was plus 109 and we're currently sitting on plus 111 now if we lose this match it's basically going to mean that we're we're finishing very similar Mm. uh, if not the same as as last season if we win this week then it's a most definite improvement going from finishing in sixth place to finishing top four so uh, the way that I see it at the moment, the Eels have probably, right at this point, got somewhere around a C-plus season in terms of, like, if I put a, a C as a pass mark, and I think we've maybe done just a tiny bit better than a pass mark at this stage, if we get into the top four, I'd probably elevate it. And it's funny that it's coming down to one match, but if we get top four... I'd elevate it to uh, B for the regular season. Any uh, any thoughts on that, fellas? Yeah, I, I don't think you're too far off the truth there because you know when you considering a pass mark for most teams will be below what we're setting for the Eels, but the Eels would have high standards, right? So yeah, yeah I think a C 
absolutely, you know, that CC plus sort of territory is right where we're at right now, and that comes back to squandering a few games. We've already, we've spoken about them at length on the podcast. Don't need to go back and circle them again. But get that win over the Melbourne Storm, book your spot against the Penrith Panthers in week one of the finals, and, yeah, I think it's a pretty firm B. Yeah, and then it's up to them. But, you know, that's that's where I put it on the regular season. Where we judge the entirety of the season now comes down oh, to yeah, exactly. final series. Yeah. So final, um, final series has the chance to, to elevate stuff to A plus 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 or you know somewhere around there, depending on what happens. But that's the beauty of uh, sports, isn't it? That so much is weighed on so uh, few games. And on that, yeah, rating, and it guys, is. Yeah, my my take. Sorry to jump in there. My take is that you know I agree with you. Sixties. I think if you elevate into the top four, then the rating of the season does exceed, or not exceed expectations, but I mean, it's sort of a pass mark because going into this year, you would have thought Parramatta were going to make the top four, no surprises. So, in my eyes, it'd be you know, it'd be fantastic. You know, I'd be happy as a fan finish fourth, but you know, finish sixth, it's probably a bit of an underachieving regular season. And I know it comes down to one game, but when you consider a few of the matches that were close, we should have won the Tigers game on Easter Monday. You know, the Cronulla game earlier in the year, the Bulldogs game not too long ago, the Broncos game not too long ago. There are games there that we should have won that we didn't. How do we won those? We would have been comfortably in the top four, even challenging Cronulla for a spot in second spot. So it has been a great year. And we will do the the debrief um, once it's all wrapped up and and everything's been said and done. But I think top four was a pass mark heading into the year. So they need to win this week in order to keep fans happy and to, to sort of be in line with those expectations. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough when we're when we're talking about um, that importance of going into the into the top four, but it, it really does provide the springboard to be able to get to that qualifying final week in the finals, which is you know, the the eels desperate to get to that level. To be able to play in a match that qualify, it gives them a, that chance of being in the grand final. And really, when you're top four, again, it comes down to just 80 minutes work, get through that 80 minutes in that first week, get the victory in that first week, you're jumping ahead to, um, to week three. You're not looking at sudden death football in that first week. So that's really important. And I, and I think it's important as well to distinguish between um, grading them for the regular season and grading for the season as a whole. Because if we're if this ends up being a really tight contest against Melbourne, uh, regardless of the result, if we maintain our standards, regardless of the result, we're ca- we will still be carrying a certain amount of momentum into the finals, win or lose. So we'll see where wherever that momentum takes us. So uh, and then we'll we'll. We'll assess the season as a whole, as you said before, Spiro, when everything's done and dusted. Yeah, but it's it's so key. You need to finish in the top four uh, if you want to go all the way. And I think for Parramatta as well, when you look at the opposition, I like our chances against Penrith in week one more than I like our chances against the Roosters or the Rabbitohs, especially in week one and the pressure of sudden death footy. So I really, really hope we can win. Uh, it's such an important game. And what a contest that would be. Paramount, Penrith v Parramatta at Penrith Friday night to open the final series. Uh, it'd just be it'd be a, an unbelievable spectacle. So fingers crossed we can get it done this Thursday and then progress to uh to the first week of the finals against the Panthers. 
Yeah. You know, the shame the shame would actually be that the match would be played at at, at Penrith Stadium mm. because I know that they're entitled to to playing it there, but when you can only accommodate about twenty thousand people in the ground. Uh, and the same thing happens with the Sharks, with them getting a, a finals match in the first week where their ground capacity at the moment is 11,000. If you could stage it at somewhere like Acor Stadium where you know that they, for Parramatta and Penrith, you'd probably get between forty and 50,000 would turn up for the first week of the finals. And, and in that stadium, forty to 50,000 is a good look. 20,000 wouldn't be a good look. And, um, you know, if it was Penrith playing North Queensland, then maybe they might struggle to get above 25,000 at Acor if it was if it was held there. But Penrith against Parramatta, mm. there's going to be plenty of us won't be able to get seats. It's going to come down to that's that. That's the trouble. Yeah, that's and, the issue. You know, I agree with you. And, and that's the thing is that um, it will probably be a scenario, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would believe that tickets would go on sale for Penrith members first. I believe so, yeah. And and then whatever's left over would be available for sale to the general public. There'd be an away bay, I think. I think there is an away bay uh, set aside for the Eels maybe or the, yep. whoever they play. But then, like you said, priority goes to Penrith. Then you get open up the GA. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, the opportunity to get tickets would be uh, could be very, very slim. On that, so anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, because if the game's on up there, I definitely want to be there. I don't want to be watching it at home. I'd much rather be watching it live. But um, you know, we can only do what we can do when the tickets go on sale to the public. So um, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, destiny in our hands this week. Yes, that's the big theme of it all. So thank you to the Roosters, and it really sets up what shapes up to be a cracking final series. Penrith doing Penrith things at the top of the ladder. Sharks and Cowboys have slowed down a little bit in recent weeks, but they're still playing some decent football. But then below that, it is just five red-hot teams. Melbourne Storm, Parramatta Eels, Sydney Roosters, South Sydney Rabbitohs, and even the Canberra Raiders are rounding into some good form. So Brisbane Broncos now on the outside looking in from the top eight. And not only do they need the win next week, they need the win handsomely and then require the Raiders to either lose or win by a very small margin over the West Tigers, I believe, so, geez, how things have fallen off the wheels at the Broncos. And we'll get to that shortly because there's some interesting stuff there in juxtaposition to Parramatta's honesty session. But let's stay with the Melbourne Storm boys because you, you, you'd like to have faith in the match review committee and the judiciary, but good Lord, it feels like there are rules for some and rules for others when it comes to what is charged, what is let go, what is fined, what is a letter of concerning act in the NRL because the Melbourne Storm, they're dead set made of Teflon. I think I agree with Paul Kent for once. I think I actually agree with Kenty because uh, what he said last night on NRL 360 is spot on, uh, that this match review committee is pretty gutless. And the interesting thing for me is I've spoken to a few non-league fans that you know took a bit of an interest on Friday night and watched that game and have seen some clips on social media. And they said, what about Nelson Osofa Solomona? Why hasn't he been charged? Why did, was he not uh, simbined or sent off? And you know why haven't the match review committee come down hard on him? And it's a very, very good point because we've seen this time and time and time again all year against the Warriors, against Parramatta even, against, I think Makahisi Makatoa, that controversial yep. hit. He just continues to make trouble. And at the end of the day, uh, the referees aren't turning a blind eye to this on purpose, 
but they've got to come down on it. And I don't know when the message is going to get in their head that Nelson Osofa Solomona is doing some terrible, dangerous things to players. Uh, and we saw a number of awful ah. shots from Friday night's game of what he was doing and, you know, going close to the head of some individuals and putting his elbow in the chins and whatnot. You know, we saw him do it against the Warriors, what, three or four weeks ago. It seems like we're going around in circles, a bit of deja vu. Um, and you know what? The only positive out of this for me is that I reckon this week, of all weeks, the referees are going to come down hard on it against Parramatta. And if they see him doing this kind of stuff, he's going to be sent from the field. It'll work in our advantage. But they've got to send a message. They've got to send a loud and clear message to the competition and to Nelson Osofa Solomona that this sort of behavior is not on. And they've got to do it quick smart because you're, otherwise someone's going to get hurt and hurt badly. You're a more optimistic man than I, Spiro, when it comes to the referees cracking down on Thursday night. <laughs> really? I, uh, <laughs> oh, well, we, we've had luck. I mean, was it last year uh, Felice Kafusi put that hit on uh, Ryan Madison? Yeah, round two last year. Yeah. Yeah, so so I don't know. I, I like to, I'm a bit of an optimistic, positive kind of guy. So I reckon they will come down hard. And the ironic thing as well is that, you know, when Asofa Solomona was going at it with Waria Hargraves, uh, you know, Asofa Solomona is milking penalties and carrying on and holding his face. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, he's the one that's on the, the he's the one that's giving it to players and doing that to players all the time. And then he carries on when he's on the receiving end of it. Yeah, well, see, you don't mind seeing players go at it on an equal footing, you know, whether one's charged in, the other one's coming in for the tackle. You you love the collisions with the the between the big blokes out on the field, but when you've got someone down on the ground and a bloke coming a bloke that big coming down, leading with his elbow towards a bloke's head. No one wants to see that in the game, and that's not going to do. That's not going to do the image of the game any good. I mean, there is there is no place for that in the game, either from a safety perspective, which is obviously the first concern, and should have been r- right up there with a priority. Because you know, see, this is what I don't understand. We we get players that will cop suspensions for a tackle that goes wrong, where there's no intent in it or when a player is slipping and falls into the tackle. And yet, when you can see that there is plainly intent to strike the head, and we all know how seriously we take head injuries in the game, and here is a player who, for all intents and purposes, looks like he's trying to inflict a head injury on his opponent. It, it, it doesn't look anything but a deliberate act, and yet it gets a little slap on the wrist. It's... There is nothing about that that is in the game. There is nothing in, in that that's a tackle gone wrong. This is this is where everything's asked about in, in relation to this because it's just a straight-out foul act, yeah. a straight-out intentional foul act. And for some reason, mate, yeah, let's all send him our lotto tickets and ask him to do it in for us. <laughs> In all seriousness. Yeah, but it was a point raised on 360 last night, and it's a point being echoed by a lot of people in the rugby league spheres, is that by not acting on this, the NRL Judiciary and Matriarch Committee are almost tacitly condoning what Asofa Solomona is bringing to the table. And there's a reason why he hasn't changed his ways, because at worst, he's getting a minor fine and a slap on the wrist. Sure, he's going to keep on doing what he's doing, because there is no blowback on him or the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. It's ridiculous. They've got to do something about it. They've got to send a strong message because it's not a good look for the game at all. Yeah, yeah. 
And unfortunately well, for the Eels, it would have been handy to have both he and Munster on the sidelines, justifiably so, for their various <laughs> elbows and grub, uh, grub acts. Yes. But Melbourne Storm will roll into town ostensibly full strength, barring any sort of niggles or bang-ups from that game. But in a way, too, you've got to, you know, you can, you've got to beat the best, and Parramatta already did that against Melbourne once this year. So while, yes, it is frustrating that justice wasn't served, for the Eels, it's all about the football. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, we as supporters can be worried about how, you know, blokes like yeah, Sofa Solomona and Munster aren't pulled up for and punished for what they've done. Parramatta Reels have to worry about themselves and how they are going to play this week because we know it's all about headspace. And uh, again, as we talked about earlier, indications are headspace is heading in the right direction. So, um, but mate, um, Talking about uh, you, you mentioned this before with the the headspace and, yeah. the, and honesty sessions. And, yeah, Parramatta Eels. Well, they responded magnificently to their in-house honesty session. But a developing story from yesterday was that the team that they whooped on uh, Thursday night. Well, they weren't so uh, happy about having some home troops laid out to them by their head coach. Apparently, uh, Kevy gave him a spray in between the Melbourne and Parramatta hidings. And then double down on it post Parramatta win, or sorry, post Parramatta's win, but uh, Brisbane's epic defeat. And yeah, a couple of players have sort of undisclosed names in the media, but they've they've sort of gone with their tails between their legs, you know, whimpering about how unfair it was and how unpleasant it was. Geez, that that's not a good look, isn't it? When you you've played two gutless games two weeks in a row, and then you respond by being uh, as a one NRL coach might describe a weak gutted dog, uh, and and go running to the media. Geez, that's not a good look. Not at all. Cop it on the chin. Toughen up, boys. Yeah. You paid hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to, to play rugby league. It, You've got to be able to cop a spray from a coach. I mean, look at any other workplace. If, if you know, you, you're not hitting the mark and not achieving and not doing what the coach or the boss wants you to do, you're going to cop a serving. So these footy players are no different. They deserve what they got. And, you know, Kevy has a right to be pretty peeved at his side because mm-hmm. they've been poor. You know, these guys were talking – Top four. top four. Top four. You know, when, when, after they played us at Combank that Thursday night, people were talking about them as a smoky to win the comp. And now we're talking that the Broncos might miss the eight. Now, regardless of what happens this weekend, right, you've got to take your hat off to the Broncos and say it's been an improvement. It's been a better year. They're doing better and they're actually making some ground, right? But they should be in the eight. And Kevy has a right to be upset because – if there's one coach in that role that I actually feel sorry for, it's Kevin Kevin Walters because he puts his heart and soul into that team. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And for them to, to rock up and play like they have the last couple of weeks, just disgraceful, you know. And, and, and all those fans, they pack out stadiums. They've got a big, loyal supporter base, and they're letting them down at the moment. So good on you, Kevy. And Broncos players need to harden up a little bit. Eat some cement, seriously. And 100% Spiro. And, and as much as the game has changed, and it certainly has you know, from an era where you could say and do things on and off the field as a player and as a coach that you just can't do now. And, and in the modern game where it's about player empowerment, not just in the NRL but in professional sports in general, and you've got to massage egos and you know balance all these different things, there is always going to be a time and a place for a good old-fashioned spray. And when you get whooped twice in a row like you did, you know, with your finals aspirations on the line at home, the way the, the sorry the storm the Broncos did, then you absolutely deserve the warrant or copper spray from your head coach. So, yeah, you know, plays plays, and look, I will say this: Patrick Carrigan came out and said that Kevy was well within his rights and and delivered a fair you know fair spray at them for what they did. So clearly, it's not the entire playing group, 
But if you're precious enough to let that get to you, then geez, you know, you're not going to cut it as a, a top flight footballer in my books. And and as far as those players are concerned, I don't think you could ever get a better example of uh, reading the room badly because whether they've gone and whinged directly to media sources or whether they've gone and whinged to someone who's then advised the media sources, thinking they were going to get a sympathetic hearing from anyone is way off the mark because I don't think there's anyone who's, who's agreed that it's that uh, Kevy was out of order in yeah. giving them a spray. Yes, like like I said, they like sorry, like you said, completely misread the room, and then like I said, just you, you're literally proving Kevin's point. You know, by, yeah. by him spraying you for being soft because you were soft, and then having a whinge about it. You know, if if you're in charge of the roster management, then you'd know which you know two or three players, whoever it was, you're looking to part ways with, honestly, because yes. that that is not how you build a strong club. That they're, they're the people that will not necessarily white end, but you know, prevent you from you know being the best version of your team that you could be. Yeah. All righty. So Eels react positive to that, their spray. Broncos react negatively to their spray. Uh, teams that probably copped a lot of sprays but just did not react at all. Well, <laughs> Manly Seagulls, Newcastle Knights, Gold Coast Titans. Now, I'm going to say who did it best, but is it who did it worst? Uh, which team has you know collapsed most magnificently? Which team has been the biggest disappointment? I think that's pretty clear for at least the biggest disappointment given their roster, but whose collapse was the most impressive across the course of this season? Oh, it's a it's a tough question, forties. When you look at it, because all teams played finals footy last year, so they were all in the eight, and they've taken a huge fall from grace. Now, I had a bit of a think about this this morning. When you look at it, right? Let's start with Manly. To be fair, injuries have been uh, cruel to them this year. The prior jersey prior jersey situation screwed them over big time as well. They've lost five straight since then. That was an unwanted distraction and their finals hopes were dashed after they lost that game. But injuries have been bad. They shouldn't be relying on one player, but they do. And I think to be fair to Manly, um, they've they, they've had a tough goal this year and, and with their squad and, and you know, the, the amount of injuries they've copped and off-field dramas, they probably, uh, you know, I know they've fallen, they played a prelim last year and now they're sitting in 11th. Uh, but yeah, you know, you can sort of understand why they've collapsed. When you look at the Newcastle Knights, I was never convinced at the halves combo that they brought in of Adam Clune and Jake Clifford. I, I never thought they'd succeed. I thought it was a dud move. Uh, but you, when you look around them, they do have a, a good squad. Your Pongers, your Gagais, Frizzells, the Saifidi boys. They've got a, a, a top eight side on paper, but they haven't been able to perform. And the pressure is building on Adam O'Brien. When you look at the Titans, I think they're the biggest disappointment because they finished seventh last year, finished 15th this year. And their squad didn't change at all. I mean, pretty much the exact same. They didn't have injuries impacting too much this year. Um, okay, Jamal Fogarty left. He's a loss. But still, their, their side was pretty much the same this time last year. They got a lot of big names, Yatinos and and um, and David Fafitas, and they should have done a lot better than finish second last, close to winning the wooden spoon. And I just feel like they didn't really have a style of football at all this year. And they've come good the last couple of weeks, but you know, a, a bit too much, a bit Literally too late. Literally time to so, avoid the wooden spoon, that's it. Yeah, yeah so, so I don't know. I mean, I'd probably say, um, I'd probably say the Titans has been the worst one for me, but also Manly. I mean, from a prelim to 11th, it's a, a big fall from grace. And although injuries have played a role, you can't be relying on one player in Tom Travojevic and they should have won a lot more games this year. Yeah, I, I, I look at, 
those results. So, those, so for those three teams to have fallen to 11th, 13th and 15th respectively, it, that that's a major fall from grace. And I then I, I also sort of wonder, were the Knights and the Titans pretenders in the final series last year? I know that they each of those teams, uh, the Knights and the Titans, put up a decent fight in their respective finals matches that they played last year. I mean, the Knights gave Parramatta a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. I mean, uh, the, the, the latter the latter supports your theory. The latter, Sorry? That, the latter from that season supports your theory. The yeah. Roosters, Eagles, and Eels were all on thirty-two points from four to six, and then it was Newcastle on twenty-six and Cronulla on twenty-two points. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Sorry, Titans on 22 points. Titans on 22 yeah. points, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... that it was, it was ridiculous that they were playing finals football last year, the Titans and the Knights. So I, I, look at, I looked at those and, you know, I think, I think last year we were a little bit disappointed in the Titans because there were plenty of people who were tipping them to really go deep into the finals given the signings that they made last year. And... I, you know, they they probably underperformed, and then this year, my goodness, uh, I, it's kind to say they underperformed, isn't it? Um, look, I, I probably go with the Titans as being the worst collapse of the season, probably because, as I said, they invested so heavily with their the players that they bought last year. They're expected to go better than they did last year. Um, they didn't. They've trend. They've continued to trend backwards. I don't know that there's. Is it going to be fixed with Kieran Foran being there next year? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, they've got a good signing in um, Sam Verrills as hooker. I think he'll yeah. add a lot of structure to their side. But Kieran Foran, I think he's past his best, and he's not really going to add a lot. Um, so yeah, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, Verrills is going to be good, but they're they're not going to improve too much. They they they'll miss the eight again. But yeah, it's um it's been a super disappointing year for them in terms of whether they deserve to play finals footy. I agree. You know, twenty eight is the benchmark. You uh, get twenty eight points, you deserve to play finals footy. Anything less, you know, it's a joke. But the Titans actually played really well in that game against the Roosters. They almost won on the bell, and they put up yes. a very very good fight. It's you know you argue that they did deserve to be there um, over the Knights, and you know I mean the latter proves that theory, but. They put up a good fight, you know. They probably could have progressed to week two of the finals, but um, but yeah, they just weren't good enough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, do you see any of those three teams getting close to finals football next year? Uh, it's well, a tough question. If, I, if I Tom Tobojevic is fit, maybe. I think sort of the ceiling for Manly is around seven or eight, but that's a big if. Mm. Tommy just has not shown he can get for a full season, and that's a damn shame given how transcendental his talent is but after that mate Newcastle well they've got huge issues you know they've, they've got staffers now leaving it in the wake of that David Clemmer thing I think Hayden Knowles is part of ways the clubs they're looking to move on David Clemmer himself uh, you know and then you've got the Titans who all the talent in the world on paper but just don't seem to be able to realise it so I, I don't know I think for the Titans and Manly maybe you can set their ceiling at fringe top 8 Newcastle well it's a it's Maybe thankful that they've got the West Tigers and the Dolphins in the competition yeah, in, in yeah. 2023. I, I was going to say, I, I, I reckon the, top, the Knights will challenge for the spoon. Um, the Titans, 
it doesn't take much for them to have a better season when you finish 15th. Yes, you don't have to go too, too, high, too much higher to have a better season. Whether that means top eight or not, you know, they probably get enough of an, uh, an improvement from uh, Foran and Verrills to climb the ladder a bit. I don't think they're top eight material. And as for Manly, I think the jury's out as to how much internal ruckus that there will will remain mm. there from all the issues that they that they had around the jersey and whether it just simply m- means that they do have to let a host of players go and uh, just from a from a team culture or team harmony perspective because that's the that's the gut feeling that I have is that maybe there are bridges that are being yeah, I, I don't think we're done with the manly drama I think that there's going to be a culling at some point yeah oh yeah hundred yeah, percent. And the other thing, this is a really odd left of field thing, guys, but when you look at the teams that are sitting in 15th and 16th, right? So you've got the Titans in 15th and the Tigers in 16th. Both clubs changed their logo uh, in the off-season last year. So we saw the Titans move on from their original one when they came into the Comp in 07 and the Tigers revamped theirs as well. So maybe that's a bit of a curse. Maybe that's a bad sign for the Dolphins and for any other team. It happens to change their logo. I mean, the Knights did it a couple of years ago, uh, changing just the where the head was positioned from the left to the right, so they're pointing in the right direction. But just a message to all the other clubs: stick with your logo. Yeah, because, don't go tinkering uh, with a tradition. You know, oh, mate, yes. that's a that's an interesting pickup there. You know, ch- <laughs> make change at your own peril. <laughs> well, to, you know what? To be fair, though, like looking at it in a more meaningful sense. It seems that those clubs, especially the Tigers, are focused on a lot of other things other than their football oh, and how they're going on the field. You know, yes, they're so they're so uh, you know fixated on these other factors and other parts of their club rather than focusing on the football element. So it's a you know I'm looking at it with a meaningful lens as well that they really should be focusing on football as a number one priority rather than all these other ridiculous things. Yeah, fair point. And uh, coming into the last round of football, it's always a seasonal discussion. Parramatta were able to take advantage of it last year because of the fact there was COVID, meaning there was no New South Wales Cups. We had a full you know, backup of uh, backup suite of players to call upon and we couldn't move our ladder position that much. But resting players in the last week of the regular season heading into the finals, good for the game, bad for the game. Uh, you know, Penrith, obviously, they're the ones in the spotlight right now because they're going to rest up to 13 players was the reports coming out early this week. And then on top of that, we're going to request be the lead-off game for week one of the finals on the, was it Thursday or Friday? Um, but the week one lead-off game for the finals, which would be against us or the Roosters, uh, or the Storm, sorry, not Roosters, us or the Storm. Uh, yeah, good for the game, bad for the game. Is there any alternative solutions that you've got, Spiro, that could maybe make it a non-factor? Look, at the end of the day, I reckon that if you earn the right two rest players because you don't need to win your last game, then you deserve to be able to do that. And it's an advantage. I mean, there aren't a lot of advantages with finishing the top four. You get a second bite of the cherry in a home final, right? It's great. But, you know, that this is another advantage which teams can use and, and good on the Panthers for doing it. They're probably the only team that are going to rest players. There was talk that maybe the Roosters and the Rabbitohs would have potentially rested players for this Friday night um, if they're... Uh, the only ladder position change would be who finishes sixth and seventh for a home final. But um, but I don't know. I think, um, yeah, if you earn the right, you should be allowed to do it. There's actually a bit of talk around this morning that Latrell Mitchell may actually not play on Friday night. He's up 
uh, at his uh, farm in Tari, having a bit of a rest and, uh, you know, uh, preparing for Friday night. I don't know if he will play, but he wasn't at training today, which is quite interesting. Um, is there a solution and a way we can fix it? Well, probably not because you can't stop players from resting that many Oh, you can't stop clubs from resting that many players. But to make the last round interesting, they used to um, add a few new rules in or, or test a few new rules for games that don't have any bearing on the ladder. Maybe they should look at doing something like that because I know that I'd be more inclined to watch a game knowing that uh, there's something interesting or something that's going to capture my attention because the result won't, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's an idea. But the other one that's around this morning in the papers is that there's a there's a push to or a, a proposal potentially to play all the matches at the same time in round 25. So it the would NFL put approach. the broadcasters, yeah, the red zone sort of approach, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also you look at the EPL where they play all their uh, final round matches at the same time on the last match day of the year, and that attracts a lot of attention. I mean, even people here in Australia talk about how cool that concept is. So maybe it's something the NRL need to look at. And it would be a, a real task for the broadcasters, but it could be an innovative, fun way, you know, like a like a magic round style of thing, but fit it all into into one um, one time slot and play all the games at the same time. I don't know if the broadcasters would agree to that or like it, but maybe it's something they need to look at. When you look at this weekend, though, there are a number of good games. You got Thursday night para and um, and the storm. Then you've got the Roosters and the Rabbitohs Friday night. You wouldn't want those matches to be on at the same time. You want fans to enjoy the action as much as they can. So it's an interesting one, but I think we need to look at ways to make it more exciting and make it more interesting to keep the fans engaged in that final week of the comp. Yeah, I, look, I can see that it, it it's something that probably won't happen because of the, the issues around broadcasters. Would it be possible to have it, uh, the concept halfway, like you, you get the matches that do have a bearing on each other, uh, be it in finals placing or whatever, and stage those matches at the same time, and the the other matches uh, uh, separate to it, so that you got the broadcasters have, have got some different times to work around. But uh, you, you can bet that it's not going to be something that the uh, the broadcasters or the NRL would probably be happy about, because as you say. They, they want to stage each game as an event. Now, of course, the other interesting side of that was that going back in time, apart from a Saturday game, you would have all the games played at the same time on a Sunday. And it was not unusual to, to have that same level of excitement at a match where you either had people sitting there with a, a radio to their ear <laughs> trying to hear the results from other games or waiting for the ground announcer to give you the progress scores from other matches, because that was that was an all, that was always the interesting thing. When every match was sta- staged at the same time on a Sunday afternoon, as I said, except for the Saturday game, you'd get scores from other grounds, and there'd be a hush. So when you'd hear the scores coming in from other matches, um, mm. yeah. So it, it it it's going back in time. But it, it's as I said, it's not something that hasn't happened in the past, where there was only the Saturday game covered on the TV and one Sunday match of the day covered on the television. So obviously pre-pay TV, but that's how it was. Every game, apart from one, was played at the exact same time. So uh, the concept itself, uh, even though it might uh, might be innovative, 
it's uh, it's like a little bit of Back to the Future. So, uh, yeah, interesting proposal. Retro round style of thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, Actually, uh, there's an interesting theory to make the last round retro round, a bit of a throwback to all those different things. So, yeah, it's definitely something we can put into the ideas hat right there. And uh, before we wrap things up, fellas, I suppose one last bit of news that's sort of developing today and it involves our brothers over in Rugby Union and they're preparing apparently a raid on Rugby League for the head of the 2027 World Cup preparations for the Wallabies to obviously make a big run there. And the, the name, the head of their list is Joseph Swali'i, who they're allegedly starting to get the, the cushions and, and you know prepare the, the big sit-down for a, ten, a five-year, $10 million deal for uh, potentially for the young winger come fullback. So that's a lot of money. Uh, but you know who, of course, he has in his corner over in um, the eastern suburbs of Sydney? Oh, Uncle Nick. Uncle Nick. Uncle Nick. Yeah. Well, Uncle, Uncle, uh, Nick. Uncle Nick has certainly worked his magic a lot in the past against other NRL offers. But um, not only is $2 million a year, you know, completely blows any current NRL era per annum uh, contract out of the water, but five years as a lot of a lot of money. So that's definitely one to monitor. The article on the Daily Telegraph also references a few other high-profile stars. Mm. I believe uh, Ryan Pappenhausen, Sophie Solomona, Matt Burton, uh, Cam Murray, Latrell Mitchell, to boy, uh, Tommy Boyevich. So Rugby Union, uh, fresh off getting their investors' money recently, looking to try and make a splash. But I don't know if it's going to be enough for them. They, they might have it good on the World Cup, but I don't think they can regain the ground they've lost when it comes to the actual code battle. So what does it say? What does it say about grassroots to their own developed players that we've got all this money, we're going to throw this money at the best players from a rival code rather than at at players that are you know we've developed ourselves. I mean, it's to me it says it says plenty about their code that they they need to have some sort of raid on the top players in the rival code. It says plenty. It says plenty. Throw throw unbelievable coin at them, and you know rugby league players have gone there in the past, and most notably uh, Sam Burgess and his you know, his comments about coming back from rugby union, where he said he was basically bored, stupid, and and he'd get people come on where he'd he'd make like three tackles and have a couple of runs. And he'd say he'd come off the field, and people would congratulate him on what a good game he played. <laughs> and he'd be thinking to himself, and this, is a, "This is a guy that would regularly yeah. go over two hundred meters in rugby league with you know a whole stack of tackles." Yeah. yeah. Cool. And this isn't, you know, I, I I don't mean this as you know putting down a, a rival code, but I'm just saying if you don't think that you've got players in your own code that are worthy of that money. What, what's going wrong? What is going wrong with your game that you've got to look from outside? And, and Suwali, uh, has he said as well, he was a rugby league player as a kid until he went to Kings. And he was only introduced to rugby union when he went over to Kings. So his his rugby union experience was at the schoolboy level, not at, not at a club level, but at the schoolboy level. So and he was rugby league all the way through. So they're going to again. They can't even say they're looking at getting one of theirs back into their code because he was always a rugby league player. You know what though? Jumping in just quickly, you've got to give the you've got to give Rugby Australia a bit of credit for the creativity. I mean, it's a smart idea because let's cut to the chase. 
if those players were to go across to rugby union, people would actually want to watch rugby union games. They would want to see how Swali'i going to go, how Stravojevic going to go, Luttrell, Cam Murray, Pappenhausen, Burton, Nelson Asafa Solomona, as much of a grub as he is. But people would want to watch, right? So I think that it is a very smart idea. It's a credit to the rugby league and to the NRL to prove that our product is leaps and bounds ahead of rugby union. You look at someone like Marika Korobiti, I mean, look at the headlines. He attracted over the weekend with his mammoth tackle, try-saving tackle, uh, to put a South African player over the sideline. I mean, it's a smart idea. And if they if they do it and they get a few players across, I reckon it'll work in their favour. Don't you worry. Well, I'll tell you what. What you're talking about there is it's commercially smart by them because the probably the and I, I don't know how you two fellas feel about it, but when I was and I used to, look, both John and I played rugby union. So John, did I. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we've all we've all got a background playing rugby union. Now, when I was a kid playing rugby union, I was aware of the stars who played rugby union. I was aware of those stars playing rugby union probably all the way through the 80s and into the early 90s because they were household names. Mm-hmm. Now, I challenge you to find any more than two or three there, there household is, There is no names lightning rod. There is no John Eels. There's no George Gregan. You know, there, there is no lightning rod standout player that, you know. There's no David Campese. That's right. There's no Ella Brothers. You know, there's there there just isn't these um, these standout players that are household names that are people that people associate with the Wallabies. Now you're right, Spiro. If they went and got three or four players like they did when they when they got uh, Wendell Saylor and Lottie Takiri and and Matt Rogers, that group of players who were literally guaranteed a spot in the Wallabies team by being by by taking the dollars. I mean, they didn't have to earn the spot. They were basically given a contract to play for the Wallabies. So when they got them, they got the publicity out of that. And as Wendell, I remember Wendell saying something like, hang on, do you hear that whirring? That's the sound of the turnstiles to see international Dell take the field, right? Uh, and, and, you know, that was his comment after he signed. Um, so it, look, no doubt they would get the publicity. They would get they would get more people tuning in to watch it. But in mm. terms of the long term development of the players in their in their game, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it might get more people interested in signing up and playing rugby union. Perhaps that's going to be the case. I still think the game itself has become a very inferior. Oh, super game. super rugby is just boring. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's probably unfair on the New Zealand component of Super Rugby, who has always proved to be an outstanding, you know, product in general. And the All Blacks, is, as a team, are one of the most dominant forces going around. But, yeah, Australian rugby is just... I cannot see how spending $10 million on a 19-year-old rugby league star helps your code in the long term. No, no. But, you know, as, as Spiro said... Um, could make the next uh, television deals and the and the um, because they would probably get the television deals that have abandoned them if they had those players. That's that's, sure. that's probably that's probably another another point is that they will get an interest from uh, the media and from broadcasters 
at uh, at having maybe even having back to the Super Rugby and covering that if you've got those players running around in it. But you know, again, I think it says something about their code that they can't find the quality players in in who has come through their pathways. And you know what? Their pathways aren't getting any better. No. The rugby clubs are disappearing. So, mm. um, but anyway, that's that's rugby union's problem, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we wrap up as well, guys, I'm keen to hear what you have to say about Thursday night in terms of the crowd. How many are you guys uh, expecting or how many people do you think will turn up at Combank? I know that Shelley wrote in her article uh, that, you know, she wants everyone to turn up in numbers, but what do you guys reckon? Well, it's interesting that you've raised this, Spiro, because I'm in the middle of writing a bumpers up column, and I, and I've I've covered the the topic of the crowd. And you had a couple of weeks ago when Parramatta played the Bulldogs, it was a sellout, and I was stunned. Like pre-match, I was talking to uh, some of the Parramatta staff, and I was informed that the match was a sellout. And I'm thinking. A sellout Saturday, three p.m. That that can't be right. And at that stage, there wasn't huge numbers that were in the ground, and uh, low. And, and then I was informed, no, we can't sell any more tickets. It just depends on who turns up. But every available ticket has been sold. Now, I would think that we're probably heading towards something similar, where we will end up with a crowd that is that is a sellout, and it just depends on who turns up. So whether we get um, 20,000, 22, 25, whatever the case may be, uh, I think they're going to be in a situation where the available tickets are sold and or close to being sold and that the uh, it's just how many people that are season ticket holders uh, turn up on the night because typically I think they have normally about anywhere between three to 5,000 who have a ticket that don't turn up to any given game. So um, they can't do anything with those tickets because they've sold them, but that's that's why you get a crowd of just over 26,500 that's actually a sellout when in a ground that holds 30. So, um, yeah, that's what I think it'll be. Yeah, um, interesting. I, I agree. Yeah, John? I, I want to see 26,000, 27,000 as a minimum, uh, you know, if not a, an outright sellout. I know Thursday is a difficult time slot for the, you know, people working a, a nine to five or anything in that sort of, you know, time frame of a job. But geez, you, know, you don't get a, a final round game with much more at stake outside of say winning the minor premiership. That, that is like the only thing that would be bigger when it comes to having a game. It's minor premiership, top four, top eight. And the and Eagles, I, yeah, you, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, and I, the, the one part I believe, and this is what it has been in the past, whether it's the case this week, that Thursday night generally sells quite well to the corporates. Yes. That they get, they get a, a, a either a full take up or close to a full take up of the um, of the three and a half thousand um, corporate oh. tickets that are available. So yeah, there's as I said, there's like about three and a half four thousand tickets that are on that western side of the field in the corporate area that are available. And they get a big take up on a Thursday night, and I can imagine that's going to be the case because people come from work. 
maybe have, yeah. they organise their, um, you know, a, a Thursday evening night out, whether some of them have the next day off or what, uh, uh, you know, is is neither here nor there. But uh, I believe like a, a Sunday's not great from uh, a corporate perspective because they, they don't tend to get the roll-up um, uh, from from work as like they do on a um, like they do on a Thursday or a Friday night. So um, yeah, I think that'll be interesting because I think whatever we'll see, we'll probably see the corporate side pretty full. Alrighty, well let's hope we get that highly uh, packed out Combank Stadium game for Thursday night. Obviously, we're going to be out there sixties to watch game live and also the post game show live from Jack's Bar and Grill. But I think that's a pretty good place to wrap it all up. Another action packed. NRL podcast always, I mean, this year's just been producing news and drama at a rate of knots. And last week we saw some big games, some big hits, and yeah, the, the Sydney Roosters Melbourne Storm drama. So always fun to unpack it. Thanks for joining us, boys. And if you're listening, thanks for stopping by. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go, you wheels. Come on, Para, bring it home. Last home game of the year. We've got to get the job done.